0: This morning
1: we'd like to go to the book of Nehemiah and our goal is to consider the remaining chapters of this book by way of summary not by way of exposition but in Nehemiah chapter 9 we're after the completion of the rebuilding of the wall and uh, now they are uh, about to rededicate the wall and they are renewing the covenant once again With this generation of Israelites, and as we considered together last week, that unfortunately, God's people consistently follow the same cycle. And there's a quote that's attributed to Yogi Berra. It's like deja vu all over again. (laughs) Deja vu means you've already experienced that. And it's like deja vu, but it keeps happening over and over and over again. And why? Why is that the case? Because every person in this world, and even born-again children of God, have a natural, fleshly, carnal man and a carnal nature. And Satan has been very skillful in exploiting the deficiencies and the temptations that we are prone to, Uh, of that carnal man. And as we mentioned last week, he has 6,000. Satan has 6,000 years of experience in testing and seeing what works, and he has some tried and true devices and temptations that have worked, not just in individual people's lives, but in generations of people. The same temptations, they, they seem to succumb, to the same temptations over and over and over again. So you see this cycle here in the Old Testament of God's people being abundantly and many times miraculously blessed by the Lord. And then in the midst of prosperity, in the midst of rest, they forget the Lord, many times fall into idolatry and sin. And then when they get in trouble, when they get in trouble, then they remember that oh wait a minute i'm not as self sufficient as maybe i thought that i was when we have everything that we need or we think that we need and we're in prosperity and we have rest and and uh, supposed peace all around we don't feel our dependency and our, our our need to rely on christ's sufficiency instead of our sufficiency and then sometimes when that uh, when that rest is taken away, and now in the midst of trouble, we're reminded of the reality of the situation, right? And we see that same cycle over and over. You have rest and peace, disobedience and sin. They get in trouble. They they cry to the Lord. They pray unto the Lord. They repent. But thankfully, the Lord is of great mercy for thy great mercy's sake that we tried to consider together last week. So you have that same cycle all throughout the old testament and that's what those levites are publicly declaring in the first portion of nehemiah chapter 9 right before they in this generation okay in this generation they do the same thing that all their fathers had done they recommit to the covenant they recommit to service to the lord so after they've highlighted all of that the highs and the lows and the consistent roller coaster that is God's people in the Old Testament, and then the consistent roller coaster that has been God's people ever since then, through the early days of the church, all the way up till today. Not just the roller coaster that is the church in general, but I think we could all uh, relate to the roller coaster that is probably our daily life of discipleship. Right, right. <clears throat> Mixtures of joy and sorrow I daily do pass through. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief, right? That consistent struggle that we have. So this generation now that God is blessed with this tremendous revival and the rebuilding of the wall, <clears throat> now they're recommitting to the same thing, okay? So conclusion here in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, um, there's 32, now therefore our God, the great and mighty and the terrible, terrible God who keepeth covenant and mercy, let not all the trouble seem little before thee that thou hast brought upon us. Verse 33, howbeit thou art just in all that you have brought upon us. For thou hast done right, but we have done wickedness, right? Lord, you told us beforehand. We've considered that before, right? You told us exactly what you were going to do if we were disobedient as a loving Heavenly Father. You were going to chastise us to bring us back into closer fellowship with you as our Heavenly Father. And you told us you were going to do it, and guess what? You're a God of your word, and you did it. You were faithful in doing that. We, We were the people in the wrong, and you were faithful as a loving Heavenly Father to chastise us because of our... Disobedience, verse thirty nine, verse thirty six. Behold, we are servants this day for the land that thou gavest us unto our fathers to eat the fruit and the good thereof. Behold, we are the servants of it. It yieldeth much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us because of our sins. Also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle, and at at their pleasure. And we are in great distress. And because of all this. We made a sure covenant and write it and our princes and Levites and priests seal unto it, right? So this is verbally, they're signing the contract, right? Verbally, they are affirming that we will be held, and they were going to be held accountable anyway, right? But we are publicly confessing that I am acknowledging and submitting that I will be held accountable to the provisions of this covenant. <clears throat> so then in Nehemiah chapter 10, you have a listing off of all the different people that were the leaders of the people, you could say, the Levites, the priests, and the rulers, and that, that ratified this covenant that all the people committed to. But what we want to highlight here <clears throat> in Nehemiah chapter 10 is some specific provisions, some specific provisions of this covenant that they publicly declared to be faithful to. Now, obviously, they're being held accountable to the entire word of God, to the entire law, but I want I want you to notice some specific things that they publicly confess that we are going to be especially mindful of of these provisions of the covenant. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nephynims, and all they had that had separated themselves from the people of the land unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law. I mean, we're acknowledging, if you remember, uh, before the people of Israel went into the land of Canaan, can't remember the names of the mountains now, but uh, half the people stood on one side of the mountain, and uh, one mountain, and then uh, half the people stood on the the, uh, opposite mountain, and one mountain proclaimed blessings for obedience, and the other mountain proclaimed curses for disobedience. Okay? And they're saying, Lord, we are acknowledging that if we exhibit disobedience and our faithfulness to the covenant, you have every right to bring this judgment upon us. Okay? And they say that we're committing to that. We're committing to an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of the Lord, and to observe all the commandments of the Lord our God, and his judgments, and his statutes. Now they specific, I want you to notice some specific provisions that they publicly commit to. That we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now that's just a reiteration. All of this is a reiteration of what's already in the Levitical law in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? That these aren't these aren't new commitments. But it had been previously acknowledged, previously called out by Nehemiah, that these were some problem areas in this generation. So now they, they acknowledge that to their credit. They hear it. They acknowledge that we have made mistakes in obedience to what god has told us one of those being not to be married to people of other nationalities that has nothing to do with ethnicity in the old testament um, some people god forbid even some old Baptists in the past have tried to use that as a biblical a prohibition of interracial marriages no It has nothing to do with ethnicity. It has to do with religion. It has to do with idolatry, you see. These Canaanites worshiped false gods. And boy, if there's anybody (laughs) that thinks, that is so naive to think, the Israelites thought this in the Old Testament. Many people, even in New Testament Christianity today, think That you know what? I can be in a relationship and even marry someone who is not a professing believer in Jesus Christ. And you know what? I can convert them. I can convert them. Now, I know they don't believe in God now. I know they don't, don't believe in Jehovah God now. But you know what? I can convert them. What ends up happening? 90% of the time, it's the other way around, right? Mm. And you find that all throughout the Old Testament. I mean, let's just exalt Solomon for a minute, right? Solomon, the wisest man on the face of the earth, outside of Jesus Christ, and for some reason, the same guy who the Holy Spirit used to pin those prohibitions against messing around with the strange woman in Proverbs and said, if you do that and you scoop fire in your lap, you're going to get burned. For some reason, Solomon thought he could scoop uh, fire in his lap and not get burned. (laughs) Guess what happened by the end of it? He was an apostate, idol worshiper. He got burned. Why? Because he played with fire. He played with fire by disobeying the word of God. And look at, I mean, you just... Look at all throughout the Old Testament, even that first generation that went into Canaan, those parents did not set the expectation and were firm and I understand their their means of of uh, tradition in marriages were much different than American traditions of marriages right, and it was up to the family and it was up to the father to procure marriages for the son and we do things differently in America but that's how they do things and how they still do things in that Middle Eastern culture so it was up to the to the parents it was up to the father to not allow that to happen but as is inevitably the case those sons went to their dads and started whining and complaining about how much he loved this uh, this pagan idol worshiper from another nation and what did he do what did the dads do they caved they caved to the child that was complaining to them fast forward a whole generation what happens <coughs> what happens that is the beginning door to idolatry in the history of the nation of israel where did it start that first generation that was faithful To enter into the land of Canaan, they were not faithful to obey the word of God to ensure that their children did not marry the idol-worshipping Canaanites. Okay? And you find that exact same temptation all throughout the entire Old Testament. Even here in this generation in Nehemiah's day. And what's the end result of it? 100% of the time. Those people end up being enticed by idolatry. And sin is described as leaven a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. And sin spreads fast, idolatry spreads very, very fast. Okay? Now, the way they could have avoided that is by simply (laughs) taking God at His word. He told them, don't do it, right? Don't do it. I don't care what your son thinks. He's, he's not in love with her. He's in lust with her. Don't submit to him being in lust with her. Say, no, because God's word says that's off limits, right? And what would that do? Solve the whole problem. It's amazing how simply obeying God's word, God knows the end result of all this stuff. Now, there's a few things in Scripture he tells us the end result of. But Even the things that he doesn't go out of his way to explain the end result of, he knows the end result of it. So if he tells you not to do it, that end result will always be detrimental to you, right? So number one, do not allow your sons or your daughters to marry idolatrous people from Gentile nations. Okay? And then, verse 31, if any of the people of the land bring wares or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that you would not buy of them on the Sabbath or on the Holy Day. Right? Remember how seriously the Lord took the Sabbath? There was a a guy that that was slain for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath in that day for... The people of Israel was a serious offense. Now, we know in the New Testament kingdom, we don't worship on the seventh day of the week, right? And praise the Lord, I have the ability, even on Sunday, the Lord's Day that we meet in commemoration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can go pick up sticks in my yard if I need to, right? (laughs) And I'd be worried about a lightning bolt uh, striking me for picking up sticks. Or one of you... (laughs) calling me out, and the rest of you having not bestowed me, right? I am thankful that I have the ability to pick up sticks on Sunday uh, if I need to. But God has set a pattern that we are not under the Sabbath because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath, right? He is our rest. However, it is, it is beneficial for your physical health, for your mental health, for your emotional health, and also just for your spiritual health to take one day out of seven to rest. Now, I say that we are in just such a unique time period in America that most people in the history of the world have had to work from sunup to sundown if, if they had to, or if they, or if they didn't rest one day a week, it would be seven <laughs> days a week, just to make ends meet to be able to provide for their family. Instead, we've reached this point in America where we have a natural, uh, agreed upon structure of the American work week. gives us two days of rest, right? (laughs) Now, that is not uh, in any way uh, relatable to most of the people of the Bible, right? They had to plant their crops, they had to hunt animals for meat, uh, and they had to work as hard as they could six days a week at a minimum just to make sure that I can make sure that my kids have something to eat, right? But we're just, again, in a a different environment today because we have a built-in two days of rest, okay? But it's very beneficial for us to take one day out of seven and not do any work on that day, right? To physically rest, but also to consecrate that day for an attendance of public worship, to meditate, on the blessings of the Lord. So uh, we are not under the legalistic requirement of the Sabbath. On, uh, In other words, that the legalistic requirements that apply to the seventh day of the week are not directly applied to the first day of the week of Sunday. But the principles are still beneficial, right? But in this day, the Sabbath was a big deal. And you were absolutely not allowed to transact business on the Sabbath day. I mean, that was just simple, right? It was directly contradictory to the word of God. But what we, what we find here is that this generation is just like many of the generations in uh, the history of not just the Old Testament, but the church as well. It's not that we um, cognitively are just thumbing our nose at the scriptures and the word of God. It's that we just allow a little bit of compromise here, a little bit of compromise here, a little bit of compromise here. And the next thing you know, well, we've drifted a lot farther than we realized that we had, kind of like swimming in the ocean, right? And you just get farther and farther and farther away. And then you wake up and you're like, wait a minute, we're treating the Sabbath day, just like every other day in transacting business. And he said, look, this day is supposed to be consecrated to me. And the vendors from the heathen nations, they knew that. And they expected to do business on the Sabbath day. And they had compromised probably not cognitively, I don't think they woke up and said, we're gonna dishonor the Sabbath, right? But just over, there's so much to be said here about the way, we especially see this in the book of Malachi, how compromise and how editing the word of God to your own personal preference or your own personal situation by the leaders of the people allows everyone else to think it's okay. Okay? Now, what we find in the book of Malachi is the Lord drills the Levites and the priests for their corruption and for their complacency because if the leaders are that complacent, people will never rise above. It doesn't matter what the setting is. In the workplace in a church setting, in uh, a flag football team, it doesn't matter what the setting is. People will never rise above the leadership. And if the leadership is corrupt, do not expect the entire organization to be upstanding and operate with integrity, right? So the reason why the people had had this idea that this didn't really matter that much is because there was no leadership to stand up and say, this is contrary to the word of God, right? Who should have stood up and said that? The Levites, the priests, the spiritual leaders of the people. And when you have complacency and you have corruption in spiritual leadership, you will it will always permeate the rank and file, okay? Spiritual leadership is very important. Okay, so... We'll come back to the Sabbath in just a minute. <clears throat> so they were dishonoring the Sabbath and just transacting business like it was, it was just any other day. And then they also committed the end of verse 31 that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now, one of those is related to that seventh year where they would let the land rest. And that, that, should, have been, that should have been right in the uh, pressure point uh, of sensitivity of these Israelites. Why? Because the whole reason they went into Babylonian captivity was what? You should know this by now, right? The whole reason they went into Babylonian captivity is because they neglected 70 years of letting the land rest on that seventh year. If there's anything we get to get, got to get right, we got to get that right, right? That's the whole reason we went into Babylonian captivity. And they said, we're going to do it going to do it. And then also, when it comes in that 50th year, in the year of Jubilee, we're going to exact every debt. We're going to forgive those debts. Then, they made a commitment uh, to support the Levites and to support the temple and to provide first fruit offerings for the shewbread and a lot of specifics related, related to that. So, what do they commit to? We're not going to allow our children to marry idolatrous people from other nations, okay, we are going to observe and remember and respect the Sabbath day to keep it holy and not transact business on that day we're going to observe the the seventh year rest of the land we're going to forgive the debts when the year of jubilee rolls around and We are going to monetarily and mainly by their possessions uh, in the sense of they didn't give currency typically. They did some, some shekels here and there. They didn't typically give currency to the temple. Instead, they gave the first fruits of their harvest, Mm -hmm. right? But we're going to make sure that we support God's house. And by supporting God's house, we're going to support the ministers of God, which was the Levites. The Levites... uh, they didn't have they, they didn't have the permission of the lord to go out and plant, plant crops for themselves no they had a higher calling to serve in the temple and the lord ordained that the offerings to the temple would support the levites because the levites had a higher calling than for them to go out and plant their own crops okay <clears throat> so by the way side note it's interesting how much of these uh, you could really say, if you if you list that out, uh, we could say six provisions, six provisions of the covenant that they committed to. You can make a case that five of them are monetary, have to do with uh, the way that they handle their their business, uh, forsaking transacting business on the Sabbath day, um, making sure that you let the land rest in the seventh year. That's giving up. Theoretically, a whole year of profits, right? <clears throat> uh, I don't know of anyone that, outside of the command of God, if somebody owes me a thousand dollars, that I'm just going to freely forgive that thousand dollars, right? But God said to do it, so therefore I have to do it. And then giving of the first fruits of my possessions uh, to support God's house. Now, put yourself in the shoes <clears throat> of these Israelites, these Jews, that were living in and around Jerusalem there was not a lot of, of financial prosperity, right? Why? the well, main reason is because they did not have safety. They did not have security, right? Uh, I can't uh, focus on any type of uh, business or any type of uh, growing my crops outside of my, uh, my normal pattern of doing that. Why? Because I don't have walls to protect me. I could be... Killed by an enemy at any given time, right? So therefore, there was not a lot of financial prosperity. But now, all of a sudden, they have safety, right? They have, they have a safe wall. So now there should be a little bit more. And but people that have been struggling with poverty, been struggling with uh, barely making ends meet, now there's going to be a little bit more prosperity. You see, because there's safety. Now, what are you going to do with that prosperity? Well. Unfortunately, God's people did what they always do with prosperity. The focus is not on the kingdom first and foremost. It's on whatever our personal preference is. Okay? Now, we'll skip ahead. We're going to skip ahead um, to chapter 13. Okay, Chapter 13. Just to give you some highlights here uh, of Nehemiah 11 uh, they wanted to make sure, obviously a lot of people were nervous about actually living in the city of Jerusalem before this. Why? Because they did not have any safety. They, there was not a wall and gates to protect them, right? So now, let's recruit some people to move inside the city limits. And they they uh, list off the people that moved inside Jerusalem, and then the people that were outside of Jerusalem. Then, in the beginning portion of Nehemiah 12, you have a listing off of the priests and the Levites that were the leaders of the people that were supposed to uh, set the tone for the obedience to the command of God, but also to hold the people accountable if they were disobedient. You know, it's it's a whole lot more comfortable for a minister, in a New Testament context, a minister by the leadership of the Holy Spirit to preach a message that convicts your soul for you to repent than the Lord sending direct judgment upon you because of that sin, right? I mean, is it better, would it have been better, you know, go back a couple centuries, would it have been better for the people to listen to the preaching of Jeremiah telling them to repent or to learn that they should have repented after they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity? Which one would have been better? Yes, you may be a little uncomfortable uh, if the Lord is, you know, the primitive Baptist preacher joke, you know, oh, I'm... You stepped on my toes. Oh, I was shooting for your heart. Well, well, we are by the by the movement of the Holy Spirit. We hope it convicts your heart. And boy, that's a whole lot better. <laughs> that would have been a whole lot better if they would have submitted to that pricking of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of Jeremiah than for them to have to endure the destruction of the destruction of Jerusalem and then Babylonian captivity, right? So let me tell you, any amount of conviction and discomfort you might have in the Lord convicting you by the preaching of his word, that is way, way, way better than you neglecting that, being like Jonah, going the opposite direction, and you ending up in your own belly of the whale, right? (laughs) So, if the Lord sends you a message of rebuke through the preaching of the word, let me tell you, that's a whole lot better. That warning shot across the bow is a whole lot better than the shipwreck if you don't obey the warning, okay? So, the Levites, the priests are listed off there at the beginning of uh, Nehemiah chapter 12. And then in Nehemiah chapter 13, they had the dedication of the wall. Big ceremony, right? Big, exciting uh, dedication of the wall as the culmination of the Lord's blessing upon that generation. Okay, Nehemiah 13, Nehemiah 13. Now, we've fast-forwarded 12 years, okay? All of this and all these previous chapters um, happened within just a few months, right? Things were happening really, really fast. Uh, And Nehemiah prayed for four months, and essentially everything that happened uh, when he got there All of that happened in a shorter period of time than the amount of time he spent praying, right? So I know it seemed like long chapters, but this has been a very brief period of time. So now we're fast-forwarding 12 years. We're fast-forwarding 12 years, and Nehemiah, we don't know when he went back. He was the governor of of, uh, Jerusalem for a period of time. And when we find him here in Nehemiah chapter 13, he's back in service to the king of Persia, and he gets another report. Remember, he got that first report that the walls were broken down. He felt burdened to go back and rebuild. But now he gets another report. Now, when did he go back? I would—I I bet it's very doubtful that he went back immediately. Right? It would be very reasonable that he would have stayed there for a few years. So, uh, I doubt he went back immediately after they completed the wall. And after they dedicated the wall, uh, so did he go back in year three, year five? We don't know that. But now, 12 years later, he gets another report from Jerusalem. And could you possibly guess what the report is that he gets? They're doing the exact same things they said they weren't going to do 12 years ago. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. They're doing the exact same things that they said they weren't going to do and that all these generations before them says, yes, our daddy's messed up, but we know a lot better than our dads. We're not going to mess up like everybody has before them. And surprise, surprise. Deja vu all over again. Satan's devices, Satan's wiles, are Successful for a reason. Okay? Remember back when we were uh, looking at all the opposition that Nehemiah faced, and I tried to show for you that God, uh, uh, Satan's tactics, his wiles, his devices, they follow a consistent pattern, right? <laughs> Start out with just ridicule and mocking, and then slander. And then we're going to try to threaten people's life. We're just going to vainly uh, say we're going to commit you physical violence. And that, that works most of the time. And then if that doesn't work, you get into distractions and all that. If you remember, we, we laid out for you the consistent pattern that Satan follows in trying to distract people from a great work in the kingdom. In the book of Corinthians, it says that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. By the way, not related to this, but there in context, the device he's talking about there is unforgiveness. And there's no greater device he has in the kingdom of God and in the world than unforgiveness. You know, we talked about unity. You know, the Lord can do some powerful things with a, a church and with the kingdom that's in unity, but one of the fastest ways to destroy and to fracture unity is to harbor unforgiveness and bitterness. And boy, Satan knows that, doesn't he? And we don't need to be ignorant of that. We need to be knowledgeable that Satan is trying to make you hard and to hold grudges and to be unforgivable. That's his goal. That's his goal, because it's one of his most effective devices, okay? Now, what we find here is that he is exhibiting, once again, these are his go-to devices, right? (laughs) Because they work in every generation. They work in every generation. So, Nehemiah gets this report 12 years later that There's supposed to be a separation Bible. Okay, let's jump in here. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse one. On that day, they read in the book of Moses in the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. And then, see now, you let, boy, a lot happens in 12 years, right? Right? You know, that, that number may sound small, but I just think about where I was at 12 years ago. Man, 12 years is a long time, but yet it's such a short time at the same time, right? But in only 12 years, what has happened to this revival, this amazing revival in Jerusalem in the, in the aftermath of the rebuilding of the wall? they're right back doing the same things they were doing before the revival, right? Where does it start? Where does it start? It starts with spiritual leadership. It starts with the pastor. It starts with the deacons. And not just those that have had hands laid upon them in an ordination service. Those that are male leaders that, are, that have exhibited themselves to be servants of the body that do the work of a deacon, even if they've never had an official ordination service. Okay? But spiritual leadership, compromise, and corruption in spiritual leadership, people will always follow. Okay. What is that? So the word of God says an Ammonite should not even come into the congregation. You should. Why? Why? That's not that's not racism either. It has to do with idolatry. Right? A little leaven leavens the whole up. And if you give these idol worshipers one inch, they'll take a mile. Right? That's what happens consistently. So do not allow them to come into the congregation, not even within your fellowship. But it's not just that they were fellowshipping. And Tobiah, okay, uh, verse four Eliashib, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of God, was allied unto Tobiah. Do you remember him? He was the chief enemy that was trying to distract the rebuilding of the wall. And furthermore, not only was he the chief enemy along with Samboat, he's an Ammonite. He's an Ammonite. He's not even supposed to be in your fellowship. And you don't know what this priest was allowing him to do? He had prepared for him a great chamber in the house of God, and he had given... This man, this this Ammonite that wasn't even supposed to be within the fellowship of God's people at all, he had given him a room in the house of God to essentially a storage locker to put his own stuff in. Who allowed that to happen? The priest that was in charge of the temple. Now, if the people, if the if the leadership is compromising like that, what do you expect the people to do? Right? They're they're not going to rise above that. People will never rise above leadership ever. Now they can they can fall way below it, <laughs> no doubt about that. You can have good leaders and people can still drop the ball, but they will never rise, no matter what the setting is workplace, relationships, the home, the church, it doesn't matter. People will never rise above bad, especially corrupt leadership. And boy, what happens when Nehemiah finds out about this? You know, he's. <laughs> uh, I feel like that he. <laughs> He was zealous, uh, but I feel like he probably got up in the flesh a little bit, the way that he's responding to this. But you know what? If I had invested as much time as I had in this, I'm the one who made the commitment to go and lead you do it, and I'm the one who led the revival. Obviously, the Lord guided him to do that. The Lord gets all the glory for it. But listen, I led you in a revival you committed that you're not gonna do these things, and now I find out you're doing the exact same things before. We'd all be a little hot under the collar, right? But now just you know, he's maybe a little dramatic here. He goes in and he gets all of Tobias stuff and he just throws it out. Well, you know what? Radical sin sometimes requires radical repentance. Dramatic changes. And Nehemiah exhibits many traits of good, godly leadership. But you know what? He needed to make an example out of this. I mean, it's not just—it's not just saying, "Oh, Tobiah, okay, well, you can't come to you can't come to supper on Saturday." He gave him a room in the house of nobody's supposed to be in there, other than the Levites, right? Even even the rank and file Jews weren't allowed in there, and they were allowing an Ammonite in there. Boy. Nehemiah was justified in being hot under the collar, right? He he, like Jesus, he got his own little whip and he scourged, <laughs> he scourged Tobiah right out of the house of God. You know, we need to have a we need to have a righteous zeal with humility and love, but we need to have a righteous zeal for the things of God. And boy, if something this egregious is happening, boy, it take it takes radical steps to deal with something this egregious. Okay, okay, also. Now, I'm speaking candidly and you know, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of writes in, uh, especially in 1 Corinthians 7, they're asking him a lot of really hard questions about, <laughs> about marriage and divorce and virgins and all this stuff. And in some of that, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you my opinion. This is, this is the, my version of that. Uh, this is not the KJV version, but I'm going to give you my opinion, but I'm not speaking on behalf of the Lord. <laughs> Now, the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to do that, but he didn't have enough confidence uh, to speak on behalf of, of the Lord in this matter. But you know what? I can speak as a fool in this regard. Can you blame the people at all for not wanting to support monetarily the temple and the Levites if the Levites were that corrupt? As a Now, that does not give you an excuse. Just because... Just because you're not happy about how things are in the kingdom or in the church doesn't mean I just take my ball and I go home. You go you go, and you be part of the solution, okay? But you know what, I don't blame the people one bit for saying, <laughs> if the leadership in the temple is allowing an Ammonite to have a storage locker in the temple of God, I'm not gonna give my hard earned first fruits of the harvest to support them. <laughs> In a natural sense, I can, I can understand that. But that's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope, though, because you can self-justify just about any kind of uh, ideology by saying that I don't agree with this, so I'm not going to give, right? I'm not going to attend. But you know what? These Levites didn't deserve to be supported. But the Lord did not offer a lot of loopholes in the commands of supporting the Levites, did he? Did he? Did you see anything? Have you you seen in in the law where it says, you give the first fruit offerings as long as you're happy with the way the Levites are acting? Have you ever found that in the Levitical law? No, you haven't. No, the command is you give. You give because God told you to give, not because you don't like the Levi. not because you don't like the preacher, even if he's corrupt, even if he's corrupt, okay? The Lord may use you to be the sanctifying mark to purge out any type of corruption, okay? But they were not supporting the Levites and not supporting the temple. To where the Levites were having to go out and... And just as a... I speak as a fool. <laughs> I speak as David, okay? Uh, they were having to go out and... Work in their own fields and provide for their own meals. And there's a sense in which they deserve that because of their corruption. okay? But it's still disobeying the word of the Lord, to not support the house of God and the ministers of God. OK? So now, they address the Sabbath, okay? It's verse 15, Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. And in those days saw I Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves, lading asses, and also wine and grapes and figs and all manner of burdens which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. And then there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of uh, ware and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. And then I contended, and notice with the nobles. You see, leadership, corruption in the leadership. I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that you do and you profane the Sabbath day? Which, you know, you can't expect to hold the rank and file accountable for the Sabbath day if you neglect the Sabbath day, right? You know, translate that to a New Testament ministry. That's why the New Testament ministry has to be an example of the believers in not just... There's many men that have had a a powerful preaching gift, but the, the more important thing than your preaching gift is your character and your integrity, Because you can't lead and you certainly can't hold other people accountable for their disobeying the word of God if you're doing the exact same thing, right? You know, how can I? That's why he says um, he can't be a drunkard, okay? How are we going to be able to deal in a disciplinary way if there's someone that's going out, a member of the church that's getting drop dead drunk every night of the week? How can I go and represent the church in an accountability manner if I'm doing the exact same thing, right? No, the Lord will not stand for that hypocrisy, okay? So the the leadership is neglecting the Sabbath day. So what are the people doing? We don't view the Sabbath day very highly either. Why? Because the nobles are setting a corrupt bar, okay? Okay? So Nehemiah finds out, and he corrupts, he he, uh, rebukes the nobles, did not, (laughs) you know, I mentioned this, uh, we've been going through the disciples uh, and going through the Gospel of John and uh, the the disciples, consistent unbelief. And And you look at them and you're like, guys, why can't you figure this out? This is not as hard as you're making it. Why can't you just trust that God is going to provide for you? And in a, in a very similar way, I can identify with this. Maybe you can too. It's almost like the Lord is saying, why do you keep making the same <coughs> mistakes over and over and over again? Verse 18, did not your fathers thus... And did not our God bring all this evil? Why are we here? <laughs> Why have we had to endure all of these problems? Why? Because we are just unwilling to submit in obedience to the word of God. Don't you get it, guys? That's what Nehemiah is saying. Don't you get it? We're doing the exact same things that we blamed our fathers for doing is the whole reason we're sitting in judgment don't you get it we're doing the exact same thing did not our fathers thus and god brought all this judgment upon us and then then he takes the strong stance here um he, he he locks the gates on the sabbath day then people are so used to business on the sabbath day they still come gentile they still come on the sabbath day and then they come a couple of weeks in a row, and he goes out and he says, y'all better not come back next week. And if you do, I'm gonna lay hands on you. <laughs> you can read that for yourself. But he's, he locks the door, because guess what? <laughs> so, sometimes God's people, surprise, surprise, may not do exactly what you encourage them to do. And you know what, Nehemiah said, I can can tell them what I've been telling them don't do this on the Sabbath day he said these people I just gotta lock the doors I gotta lock the gates (laughs) because if I leave the gates open they're not gonna listen you see he's taking drastic steps okay now marriage marriage verse 23 and in those days I also saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab you remember what we read in verse 1 they were specifically, now you don't need to marry Canaanites. You don't need to marry people from Tyre. You don't need to marry all these other people. But Ammonites and Moabites are specifically called out in the word of God to not come into the congregation. So even if you're going to compromise and marry somebody else, you sure enough don't allow your child to marry an Ammonite or a Moabite, right? But guess what? Guess what? The parents compromised. The parents compromised. Look where they ended up. And by the way, this is why it matters. The New Testament version of this is be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Because what fellowship? What fellowship does Christ have with Belial? What fellowship does light have with darkness? Zero. Zero. And what ends up happening? Just by them compromising to the, uh, the emotions of their children what happens? They allow their child to marry someone that's directly contradictory to the commands of God. And what happens with the children? What happens with the children? They come from the parents compromising, the grandparents compromising. What happens? Their children spake half in the speech, of, the speech of Ashdod and could not speak in the Jews', Jews language but according to the language of each people. If you think that we can, we can we're can, we just going to go 50-50. <laughs> right? We're going we're to raise our kids 50-50 and we're going to let them pick. Let me tell you. The children will always gravitate to the language of Ashdod. Because they're sinners. Even your born-again children are sinners. And they said, oh, it doesn't matter. We can handle it. We're going to set boundaries. We're going to straddle the fence. What happens when they straddle the fence? They knew the language of Ashdod. They knew the language of idolatry. They did not know the language of the Jews. That's what happens. That's the end result. And that's why the Lord says don't do it. Don't do it. by the way, you see this inference in the book of Malachi that deals with divorce. There's also implications that they most likely divorced Jewish women to marry these Gentile women these Ammonite and Moabite women, okay? So you have that layer in the middle of all this too. Now, (laughs) again, Nehemiah, he may have been in the flesh a little bit. Verse 25, I contended with them and I cursed them and I smote certain of them and I plucked their hair. He plucked the beard of their hair off or the hair of their beard off. Um, I don't have a beard, but that hurts, right? (laughs) That would hurt. And boy, you don't talk about public embarrassment, Right? Now, Nehemiah's being a little dramatic, but these people needed to have a public display of just how serious these offenses are, that you have ignored. And then, uh, Lord willing, next week we'll we'll try to loop in the book of Malachi with this, okay? And what you find in the book of Malachi is the people that have grown up for a minimum of 12 years in this environment where the Levites don't really care uh, about what's going on, and they say... What? What's the problem, Lord? What's the problem? What does it matter if we're offering speckled and uh, our, our leftover offering? What does it matter? Well, you want to know why they didn't know that it mattered? It's because of the failure of the Levites to show them this is contrary to the word of God. Okay, but the people were like, "What's the big deal? What's the big?" They were even like that with divorce. What's the big deal? They said, "There." In chapter three, it's vain to serve the Lord. You know, I can get a lot more money by being open on the Sabbath day, right? And get uh, one seventh more revenue with my business. He said, look, actually, kind of like the, uh, when the land rests in the Sabbath, the seventh year, if you do it my way, you're going to end up with more than if you try to do it your way. If you do it my way, you're going to get double on the sixth year. If you do it my way on that year of Jubilee, you're going to get three times on the 48th year, you see? If you do it my way, you're going to end up with more. But obviously God's people make that same mistake over and over again. And notice this. We mentioned Solomon earlier. This is what Nehemiah brought, draws it back to. Um, verse 25. Contended with them, saying, "You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons for yourself. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Don't you remember the story of Solomon? Don't you remember the prosperity of Judah when they were still in the United Kingdom? And then, don't don't think it's, it's just randomness or happenstance that the kingdom was split right after Solomon. You want to know why God did that? You want to know why God raised up Jeroboam to split the kingdom? was because the leader, Solomon, who should have known better, more than anybody, he was enticed by what? Strange women from other nations worshiping false gods, and by the end of it, Solomon, a child of God, the most wise person on the face of the earth, outside of Jesus Christ, by the end of his life, was fully apostate with a thousand wives worshiping nothing but idols. And for some reason, we can't learn from the past. Nehemiah is saying, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who is beloved of his God, and God made him king. Shall we then hearken unto you and do this great evil to transgress against our God by marrying strange wives? (laughs) Isn't it amazing that we are just so deluded in our own mind? And I'm speaking of myself primarily. You can put yourself in the blank. But why do we think, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result? Right? Why in the world would we think that we're the generation that can do things contrary to what God says and it's going to end up in a way that's different than what God said it would end up? Why would we think the end result would be different? God is is not mocked. God is not mocked. Because what we sow, that shall we also reap. Now in spite of that, I want to go back to last week's message, right? Praise God for the mercy of God. Right, for the abounding, permeating, rich, abounding mercy of God, His great mercy. But again, it's so easy to be hard on the disciples, it's so easy to be hard on these people. But the more I study this, boy, it just seems like I see the story of my life jumping off the page every time I study it. You know, I look at these people and be like, How in the world can you be so blinded? To ignore the testimony of Scripture that if I do this, this will lock, stock, and barrel be the end result. But for some reason, I think I can do that same thing and it won't end up that way. You wanna know what you do? You just obey the Word of God. It's, you know, God's simple. Oh, I say that. That's, That's almost irreverent. Forgive me. God's not simple, God's dynamic, God's amazing. But his commands are simple. Why? Oh, because he knows he's got some sheep. <laughs> right? He knows he's got, no offense to you, just to me. He's got some dumb sheep. Sheep are not intelligent creatures. They're not. <laughs> the Lord called a sheep for a reason. I don't mean to offend you. It's just the way things are. Okay? Sheep are not intelligent creatures. So what, is the, so what does the shepherd do? He puts up a fence. <laughs> He puts up a fence because if he explained to the sheep, okay, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. No, he just puts up a fence. What's the fence? The word of God. The word of God's fence. And you know what? If you go outside the fence, things don't turn out good. Things don't turn out good. Now, we are thankful the shepherd goes and gets his sheep, right? But all we have to do, all we have to do is be happy and content within the fence of God's word, Right? Just do what he says. Just obey his commandments. And boy, there is abundant life to be had, right? We need to learn from the mistakes of the past. Learn from our own mistakes. Learn from generations past. And the end result of that should always be simply follow the commands of the word of God, right? Because that will always... Give us the greatest joy. And, and the other side of that is judgment, destruction, peril, places we don't want to go, right? Let's just simply obey the commands of the shepherd, be content with the fence, and serve him abundantly in his kingdom.
0: We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia pbc.org.